It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor, along with Rick Broering, where each week we look at sports topics locally, nationally. We have a gambling segment, and of course, my favorite part of the show is always Ask Skinny, Ask Me Anything, and I'll try to answer to the best of my ability. Those are always good, and we enjoy those very, very much. Uh, Rick and I decided to wait until after the first two games of the Reds-Braves series to do this podcast, and we're doing it just moments after the end of Game 2. And the thought was maybe we'd be talking about the Reds moving on and at the very least maybe talking about a, a rubber game coming up on, on Friday. No, we're talking about an utter disaster. I mean, hey. what, a, what an embarrassment that series was. In certain ways, I feel like we kind of got rewarded. We waited to, to see w- if we'd have anything to talk about. And as it turned out, we, we got the end of the season. So we just get to do a season in review type show. And uh, we don't have to worry about the lack of shelf life if they were to play another game tomorrow. So Yeah, yeah I guess we got that going. So Reds fans, you got that going for you. Yeah, I, I think that's a great consolation prize to all the Reds fans out there. Yeah, that they're, I'll bet. They're happy to hear from me about. But you're right, Skinny. We hardly knew the playoffs here in Cincinnati. The Reds were shut out in each of their two losses to the Braves in MLB's wild card round. The Reds lost one no, one nothing in 13 innings on Wednesday despite an outstanding performance from Trevor Bauer and followed it up by spoiling a great start by Luis Castillo on Thursday in a 5-0 loss. Skinny, who do you place the most blame on for the way the Reds performed in the postseason? Um, Alan Zinter, the hitting coach. I, I mean, I, yeah, I think it goes to a lot of different places. David Bell screwed up game one, unless he's covering for somebody with that high schoolish, not holeish double steal attempt. Um, you know, and, and maybe, maybe you point still at Dick Williams and the way this roster was constructed. You just got a lot of free swinging hackers up there. And, um, you know, it, it just that kind of stuff doesn't work in the postseason where you're not facing the back end of people's rotations. You're not facing the back end of their bullpen, although they did on on uh, on Wednesday because of how deep the, the Braves went into their bullpen. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it goes to a lot of different places. It goes to the players approach at the plate, to be quite frank. I don't know if it's one guy. But I would say this, I mean, it's not a good optic for Allen's Zinter to, to have a team that struggled all year offensively for the most part and then really was embarrassed nationally um, offensively these two games and just watching their approach at the plate. Goodness gracious, I swear, everybody takes an uppercut swing, no matter the count, no matter the situation, and they look like fools doing so. So someone's going to have to pay for this. I don't think it's going to be David Bell. It, it You know, it, it – it would be okay, I guess, if it did. It wouldn't hurt my feelings if it did, but I don't think it will be. But it's got to be somebody. And for me, unfortunately, for, for, for the big Z, Alan Zinter, he's probably going to have to be the sacrificial lamb here. The big Z, that's what they all call him around the clubhouse. You no hate question. to see him go. It's going to be a tough blow. Big locker room guy. But, you know, Skinny, I, I wanted to come on here and rant and rave about David Bell or certain Reds players that aren't getting it done and – I want someone to blame. I want to be mad about it. But honestly, the conclusion I've come to is that it is no one's fault. It is just Cincinnati sports and the way they're (laughs) predetermined to end up. Because here's the thing I look at, honest to God. In this offseason, going into it, what did you think was probably their most solid move in terms of additions? Um. I'd, I'd have to go Castellanos over Mus- or Mustafa. One of the I'd go right, Castellanos probably, yeah. You, you were higher on uh, Castellanos, but it was one of those two guys from pretty much everyone, right? Yeah. Everyone thought, well, at least that's some legitimate offense. They may not be the best guys in the world, but for the Reds, a mid-market team doing what they can, that's, that's two solid guys. Hopefully one of them 
are a nice piece in the middle of that lineup. And and they had their moments throughout the season. Sure, Castellanos had the better year, uh, but Moustakis was hot late in the season and, and really did some great things for the Reds. But then you get to the playoffs, and you're in this wild card series, and who was up in pretty much every big moment with guys on base? Mike Moustakis. He won yeah, he was. 5 on Wednesday. He left nine guys on base. I think today he left another one or two out there. I mean, I'm not trying to crush Mike Moustakis, but at the same time, it's like, who do you blame when that's the case? No one thought getting Mike Moustakis was a, a bad idea. It's not like you were, you were left at the altar in this, in this game by Joey Votto, who's too old now, or, or by uh, Jesse Winker or Phil Irvin or somebody that, you, that was on the scrap heap that you just already had lying around. It, w- it were the guys you went out and got that people agreed were solid additions that couldn't get it done when it mattered. And when it comes down to that, it's like it's not like they've been in the city for too long and they're just used to losing culture here or it's a long-term problem with David Bell and the way he coaches this team. What do you, He was barely around this team. The like coronavirus wiped half of it out. You only played 60 games together. So it couldn't have been David Bell running, rubbing off on Mike Moustakis in the clutch. You know, It couldn't have been the, the Reds' way and the city of Cincinnati's dark cloud that hangs over our sports teams rubbing off on Mike Moustakis in the clutch. So who do you blame at that point? I really don't. I, I, I go back to the hitting coach, to be quite frank. I mean, their, their approach at the plate all year was a mess. All year. And I know people are going to tell me that's baseball today, looking for launch angle. And I'm, I'm tired of hearing that. I'm sick and freaking tired of hearing about that. Give me an approach that honestly is a more sound one than just stand there, swing from the heels, wait for a pitch to go into a thimble, and, and then Jack went out. I mean, I didn't realize this stat until today, and I heard it on the, on the broadcast. So if it's wrong, I'm going to blame ESPN, but it probably isn't. I didn't realize the Reds walked more than they had singles this year. That's a, that, that almost sounds unfathomable to me. Well, and I know A-Rod was harping on this same point a lot throughout the broadcast the last two days, and he brought up the point that over 60% of the Reds' offense Is home has, runs. Come, has come from the home run. And honestly, when he said that, I was surprised it wasn't more after yeah, watching maybe. this team all year. It feels like it's about 75-80%. I mean, okay, honestly, so, so I go back to that, that somebody has that approach – and that's, that's, that's the newfangled, today's analytic-minded hitting coach, Alan Zinter. Bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if getting rid of Alex, Alan Zinter, whatever his name is, fixes your issues. But I will agree with you from an optics perspective. I don't know how you bring that guy back. You can't go goose egg, goose egg in the postseason, get swept, and then bring your hitting coach back. I mean, and, that's, and, just, and that's lot- just no way. You and a lot of it's the situational hitting. I mean, it, it, go back to the first inning of the very first game of the series. First and third, nobody out. Joey Votto, professional hitter at the plate. You got to lift one there. Lift one. Get, some, get, get something on the board. Instead, he chops one to first, and they wind up getting Eugenio Suarez, who looked sick all year. He looked miserable at the plate. Anything breaking ball away, he was just wailing away as if he was just swatting flies. I mean, he was an embarrassment, and I like the guy. I think he's a good player, and he's still got a great career ahead of him. But for whatever reason, he was, he was worse this year than he's ever been. Hello, Alan Zinter. For all the talk about the – shift and all the other stuff that we've we've talked about this year when it comes to new school baseball and analytics and the approach to the game at the end of the day just getting the bat on the ball is like to me that's not analytics that's not an approach it's like how can you 
swing and miss this often. I know the pitchers are great because, because Rick, but, nobody adjusts their approach with two strikes. It's the same approach with two strikes as it is when you're ahead two and zero in the count. You're swinging from the heels, guessing like a maniac, and hoping your bat runs into it. There's no longer, hey, breaking ball away. Let me flip that one into right field, or let me uh, let me let me go back. Let's go, let's go gap to gap. Let's go middle. No, it's how far can I hit one when I connect? That's all it is, and it's it's honestly it's sickening to watch. It was a disaster, and yesterday some guys got on base. Like they had some hits scattered throughout that game, but then they spoiled them with terrible base running and they couldn't get the hits in the clutch when it mattered to to knock guys in. And you almost look at that game and you want to say, okay, there was some bad luck there. And granted, it had been happening to this team all season. So we knew it wasn't the case, but you look at that game, you thought, Hey, they, they had some momentum coming in. They'll shake that off. They ran themselves into some outs out, maybe out of some innings that they otherwise would have scored in. They'll figure it out. But when you go back-to-back days like that, that everybody just goes up there, offers a sorry at bat, and strikes out, that, sorry, like, you have an issue. That's you have exactly an issue. right. That's exactly right. You have an issue, and someone has to pay the price for that issue. I don't know what the, the answer is, and that probably takes us to our, our next question. Let's start here before we talk about the offseason. Before getting swept in the wild card series by the Braves, the Reds finished the regular season 31 and 29, a 517 winning percentage, which tied for second in the NL Central with the Cardinals. Finish this sentence for me, Skinny. The 2020 Red season was blank. A waste. A, a waste of, of, of three, the, probably the best top of your rotation you've ever had. Um, and, and to me, that's what you wasted. You wasted a great season from Trevor Bauer. Um, you know, Sonny Gray early on was dominant, got a little nicked up, but then pitched, you know, fine down the stretch. Um, and, then, uh, and then Luis Castillo came on and pitched like the guy we thought. So to me, I, I think it's a waste. Um, and that's disappointing. How do you answer it? I think a lot of people would say disappointment and letdown and things like that. But really, up until right before the season where I kind of got swept up in the rush of, hey, we haven't had sports for a few months and nothing's been playing, so I'm excited about Reds baseball being back. I never thought this team was going to be drastically improved from the year before. I'll admit my opinion changed a little bit when I saw how good the pitching was on a nightly basis. When I realized those three dudes were every bit as good as we thought they could be, and Trevor Bauer is actually even better, uh, a legitimate Cy Young-type candidate this year, they, they made me think they could do more, but I think you're right. It's, it's a waste. That's what I go back to is you had that opportunity, and not only that skinny, but – when you look a little deeper, especially what happened the last few weeks of the season, it felt like the Reds did enough to convince Trevor Bauer that this might be a place he could win at. It seems right. like he likes the guys. It felt like, okay, in this offseason, you can, you can get Trevor Bauer to stay maybe because of the way you finished the season off. And, and may, he's always said he wants to be in a place that he has a chance to win at. He'll sign one-year deals in the offseason if he needs to to make that happen. And it felt like that was a possibility. But honestly, after watching what just happened with the Reds in the postseason, I don't, I don't imagine he's looking at this team as a place that he can come back to and win in the postseason. And so that, to me, may be the biggest waste of it all. I, you had the opportunity here at the end to save your relationship with Trevor Bauer and potentially keep a guy that could take you to the next level and, and get you back to the playoffs again and, and give you another chance. And the way you handled the, this wild card series, I, I think you might have spoiled that too. Yeah, and you can argue, and it didn't look like he was mad about being taken out yesterday, but you could also argue the way David Bell handles the pitching staff could frustrate a guy like Trevor Bauer too, right? Again, I, I, it didn't look like Bauer was mad he got pulled on Wednesday. 
Um, I think he maybe understood he had reached the, the, the limit, whatever that may be. Um, but still, yeah, it was I tough think, to I, read him after the game, I thought, because he was asked directly about it and he was just dejected because of the loss. Right. Um, so he was kind of he was kind of answering all the questions with a little bit of a sourpuss attitude. But that was the first question he was asked. And he, he just said, yeah, I was exhausted. And that was it. And he looked it. I mean, like, like I said, you can sometimes tell a guy when he's coming off how, how ticked off he is or, or, or mad he is. I think he realized I gave my all and I got nothing left to give. So, um, but it worked, I mean, and it worked I, out I, fine, by the way. And it worked out I mean, fine. Yes. Yeah, pitching, did, I mean, pitching, pitching did not cost them Wednesday's game by any stretch of the imagination. The bullpen didn't cost them Wednesday's, Wednesday's game by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah, you're right. It worked out just, uh, just, just fine. Um, but yeah, and that would be disappointing because, uh, then now we're going from a from from that guy, and again we're assuming he pitches the same way or at least somewhat similar to to what he did this year. And we've also seen Trevor Bauer have drop offs before in his career. But if we assume that the Trevor Bauer you would get in 2021 was a Trevor Bauer we got in 2020, that's a guy that's going to be really hard to replace over 162, over 33 starts. Now you're going to, you know, a a, a Wade Mileyish type guy. You want Wade Miley for 33 or you want Trevor Bauer for 33? You tell me which one you want. Well, and that kind of brings us to the, the next topic. The Reds pushed a lot of chips to the center of the table for this season, but the cupboard isn't necessarily bare after this year. I mean, they bring a lot of this team back, Trevor Bauer being the big question mark. What do you think the next step is for the Reds to put themselves in a better position? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I, I think they, they – um... I think the good part is I think they do have a catcher of the future because there is no question Tucker Barnhart is completely overmatched anymore at the plate. I mean, he's, he's so bad. He could barely be a backup catcher for somebody in my opinion. Um, so I think you, you, you turn the reins over at that position to Tyler Stevenson. So you don't need to go outside the market to get it. Um, you, you know, you got, I guess you got to hope that Castellanos doesn't opt out or maybe you don't care if he opts out because then you use that money for Bauer. I don't think you can lose both of those guys, Rick. I don't think you can let Castellanos opt out and then not re-sign Bauer. I think you got to bring at least one of the two back. And if I had my brothers, it would be that Castellanos opts out and Bauer's the one that you're, you're able to re-sign. But, you know, perfect world, you keep them both. And I guess that's possible, but I also look at this market where you had no ticket revenue this year. We still don't know what ticket revenue is going to look like next year, uh, for goodness sakes. Um, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's the, you know, after the All-Star break when they finally allow fans to start coming back into games or, you know, more than whatever, six 8,000, whatever the, the number will be set. So uh, I, I, I think there's a lot of question marks that are going to be hard to answer. But to the question, to me, I, I can't let both of them go. I got to try to keep one, and I think I'm putting my eggs in the Bauer basket. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. You, I don't know that they can bring Bauer back. And after today and yesterday – I really question that possibility. I don't. I don't, I, think I, 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 I don't know that though. I, I really don't. I, I get your point. I don't I either. He, but if, he's, a, he's a different enough cat that if he feels comfortable in this organization, in that ballpark, maybe um, in these surroundings, then he's a different enough cat to go. Yeah, I'll come back. Yeah, but if you're good, I mean, if you're a pitcher, who's going to love pitching in Great American Ballpark? You know what well, I mean? It, I, it, it didn't affect him. No, I mean, he, he was great this year, and, and he does legitimately seem to like some of his teammates and, and being in Cincinnati. But again, I think he's made it very clear. The organization, the way they operate, and their dedication to winning is the most important thing. And I, I think he's going to have major issues with the way this season ended. That being said, I mean, that's, that's priority number one. If you're the Reds front office, you have to make it very clear to the fan base and everyone in baseball that you did absolutely everything in your power to re-sign Trevor Bauer. Right, agreed. And it may not work, and they may not have a chance to even 
get, you know, getting a real conversation about it with him. You may have no interest, but you've got to make it clear that you've done everything you can. And if you can't do that, like you brought up, I don't think you know what your financial situation is necessarily going forward. I mean, I'm not one to worry about millionaires and billionaires spending their money, but I, I don't think they're going to be just spending it recklessly. This right. Offseason. No, yeah, no, exactly. And, and, you know, um, I think for the fan base, though, if, if suddenly you went in to some degree this year and then you all of a sudden decide, now nah, we're going to back out of that and we'll, we've got, we'll go back to some young guys and, 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 some, and some hope and prayers and, um, you know, maybe this AAA prospect can work out or this retread arm can work out. I just think that's a hard sell to the fan base, man. I think it's going to be very, very hard then. And if, if fans do are able to come back, then to woo them back. And, yeah, winning certainly cures that. I mean, if you got off to a hot April and played well in May, you certainly would – get think you'd get some people back to the ballpark in in june and july and august but um you know maybe you don't and maybe you don't get off to that good start because you don't have trevor bauer so i think it's an important offseason for the reds as far as what they're doing with 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 guys like trevor bauer yeah i am i'd love to look at the roster and say hey you know they need to go target this shortstop who's potentially going to be a free agent and he's going to make all the difference or they need this outfielder who's going to change their lineup in the middle it'll move everyone around and make them better I just don't think there's a clear answer like that for this team. No, I, 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 yeah, I don't either. And that's where I, I go back to, look, you need a catcher, right? You need an everyday guy for the most part. And I think Tyler Stevenson's that guy. I think the unfortunate part for this season for the Reds in a couple of places, um, I hope it doesn't rear its ugly head next year. The fact that there was no minor league baseball this year, uh, I think hurts a guy like a Tyler Stevenson. I think it hurt the Garcia kid. He had no business being up at the big leagues. He just didn't. Um, Unless he was able to get, you know, let's just say he got hot in Louisville in, in April, May, and June. And then you're like, okay, kid can play. I mean, instead he's up at Prasco taking cuts. And then all of a sudden on the major league roster, that's a, that's a hell of a big step forward. I, I do think he is the shortstop of the future. Um, at least gets first crack at it. And I don't know if you have to go out and spend money to, 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 to find one. I think you give that kid a crack, but it's unfortunate he didn't get minor league at bats. Stevenson didn't get minor league at bats. Those two guys would have, would have benefited greatly from that, I think. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, I'd love to give you like a, a specific thing they need to go out and do, but I would just say this. It's a very important off season in my opinion, because it feels like we're dangerously close to returning to the leather pants days of Reds baseball. It feels like they were trying to rebuild. They had some legitimate prospects and all of a sudden they, they got a little greedy. They saw a small window at the end of Joey Votto's career. So they start selling off some of those product prospects you get, you know, maybe not the typical Jim Bowden type retreads, like the the guys were too old. You get a Castellanos and a Mustakis instead. Yeah, but yeah, ultimately, what did they do in the postseason? The same types of thing Jim Bowden's retreads always did. They didn't get it done. You know, they weren't they weren't enough. So it's like if you just pushed all the chips to the middle for a one or two year window that absolutely nothing happened during, and all of a sudden you're back in a situation where you're just like, oh, we're, we're half rebuilding with young guys that aren't there yet, and now we've got to get some more old retreads to fill holes while we put this thing together. I mean, that, that is Jim Bowden baseball. That's where the Reds were through most of the 90s. I can't do that again. So well, and, and this is a very frank, important offseason. I don't have a lot of faith in Dick Williams or Nick Crawl or any of those guys. I just don't. Um, I don't either. Based on I, what look, we've seen, look, uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're trying. They're making moves. I'll give them yes, that. Yeah, trying's great, but trying and, and doing it smart, efficiently, and effectively are, are, are another thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't trust that that either. Um, but, but, and that's why I think for them, if, if you were trying to get your fan base back behind you after they'd had enough of this rebuild that never really was, and, and you know, unfortunately, you had your season 
you know, cut short and, and certainly attendance wiped out by COVID. I think you got to at least take one more swing with these guys again and, and see if the fan base is, is going to get back behind you and maybe over 162. I mean, who knows, Rick? I mean, maybe over 162, this ended up being a 90-win team for all I know. I, I don't think it was going to be, but maybe. I mean, it certainly started to play baseball, really good baseball in, in a lot of different facets um, as the year progressed, and, and maybe that was sense of urgency and maybe it was luck. Uh, maybe it was some of that too. But I, I do think this team was going to be capable of getting to the high 80s, maybe 90 wins if you'd have played this thing out. And, um, you know, maybe the shortened season hurt them. I, I thought it was going to help them, and, to be honest with you. And um, I, just, I, I just think you can't go backwards. I will say that. I'm with you on that. You cannot go backwards. And I don't think, I don't think letting Tyler Stevenson catch is going backwards. I mean, he, he showed some flashes, and he's, he's been kind of your catcher of the future for a while now, and now it's no, his turn to play. I don't think it is either at catcher, but, I mean, we've just talked about the Bauer situation. Okay, so you lose Bauer, but then you don't replace him with anything, and every, right. everyone just bumps you, up a spot. You're in a bad position there if all of a sudden now you have no Bauer and you just got two two good pitchers at the top, but then you're you know Malley's your third or something. Yeah, Malley's your third, and they may not resign Scalfani, so then you're looking for a fourth and a fifth, and maybe yeah. Nick Lodolo's that guy. But again, there's a poor kid who could have used some minor league innings this year, right? Instead of just throwing some ball up at Prasco, I, I yeah. just think that and we're that, all excited about Hunter Green, but he's not there yet either. Not you even know close. I mean? So Hunter, Green, Hunter Green's at least two years away, right? I mean, he's just rehabbing a, a Tommy yeah. John John injury that he didn't get, and then he didn't get to pitch all off season in terms of actual games. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a big off season, in my opinion. I guess. To, to tie a bow on this whole baseball conversation, I will just add in, for me, selfishly, I kind of think the 60-game season is, like, perfect for my consumption of Major League Baseball. It was the exact am- amount of time for me to, like, I could pay attention to the Reds long enough. Right before they figured it out and started playing good baseball, they were starting to lose my interest, but not quite yet. Then they figured it out, so it was fun again. And just like that, they've disappointed me. The season's over, and we're on to football and basketball. It was great. It was, it was just a little uh, sprint there to the end that was way better than the last few seasons have been, quite honestly. If you want to be quite frank, I'm not so sure baseball's not better off condensing itself between April and the end of August and a playoff in, in, in sept- through September where football's barely starting um, and maybe even get it done before football starts because I'm kind of with you. I think once football started again – as much as I was excited by the Reds making the playoffs and, and it was nice to watch noon baseball on a Wednesday and a Thursday while I did work, um, you know, it, it, it's still football is king. And, and, you know, maybe that's what this shows is, hey, we were hungry for baseball, but once football started our, across the country, I think our interest started to wane a little bit. So maybe they learn, learn a lot. I don't think they do. I think they go back to 162 and plow their way through and, and go from there. But, yeah, I, 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 60 is too short. But there, I think there is a more happy medium between 60 and 162. Well, I think especially for a uh, small market team or just a team that kind of stinks perennially like the Reds, normally I'm tuning out midway through the season because they're not in it. So if you only have 60 games, it's, you go on for two months before you realize you're out of it. Right. You know? so, right I mean, yeah. Kind of keeps you interested for most of the season. Uh, from a Reds perspective, that worked out very well for me. I enjoyed watching this baseball season, even though the baseball was terrible for most of the season. The Reds couldn't hit for two and a half months. They figured it out for two or three weeks, and then they went back to not being able to hit at all. So Yeah, disappointing. It was, it was tough. All right, let's switch gears here. The Bengals offensive line coach Jim Turner rushed to the defense of his offensive line on Wednesday and off-criticized right tackle Bobby Hart in particular. 
Quote, I think that out of all my players, Bobby Hart is the most underappreciated player and the most picked on player by everybody from the media to whoever wants to talk football, Turner said. It's like every pressure we've ever had gets blamed on that kid. I think Bobby's playing the best football I've seen him play in his career right now. I think mentally he's in a great place right now. I think he's unaffected by anything that's said about him. And I think he knows, like, if you watch his side of the line, it's solid. He's got a revolving door over there. It hasn't always been easy for him as far as who he's been playing next to. So I'm very comfortable with the way he's been playing. I'm not worried about Bobby Hart. Hmm. Skinny, do you think Jim Turner honestly believes what he said about Bobby Hart? Or do you think this is a case of a coach sticking up for a player? I think a little of both. I, I think he does believe That's that what to, I was to some of. degree. And, and I think it is him sticking up for a player. And I don't mind that. Um, you know, I think there's more diplomatic ways to do it than to literally go all in like he did. I mean, I'm not sure that's a hill I want to die on if I'm an assistant coach. Um, yeah, you know, I, the one thing I'll say, uh, I, I'm not nuanced enough in the NFL to great offensive line play, okay? And I, I've said, I said this to Marvin Lewis a few years ago. He got mad when I was using pro football focus numbers when the, when the subscription was significantly cheaper, um, and I had it. <laughs> But and I was working at a different place, and he did not like the fact I used him in, in in a column once a week. And he called me on the carpet one more one day into his office and told me so. And I said, "Well, I'll tell you what, I'll stop using him if you want to give me how you guys grade your offensive linemen. I mean, I'll be more than happy to do that." And of course, he wasn't going to do that. So, a lot of times, coaches do see things that we don't see, and a lot of times there are things where um, you know it's easy to single out a player when maybe it isn't his fault. Maybe maybe you know for Bobby Hart, he's trying to make up for that, that guy next to him a lot of times, and it makes him look worse than it is. But I also think it insults most people's intelligence, right? You got two eyes. You see it. You see the struggles. You see the false starts. Um, is he the worst offensive lineman on that team? Maybe not, but at times he sure looks the part. And so I think to what Jim Turner said, I think it does insult a lot of people's intelligence because they, they, they're seeing something completely different. And no, they're not coaches. He is. So I would say this then, if, if, this offensive line continues to struggle, then after this season's over, Jim Turner's got to go. Uh, it's pretty simple. You're, you've decided you're throwing all your eggs in the basket of this guy. Okay, Let, let's, see, let's see him produce then, brother. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And I love the way you said that, that he's insulting our intelligence because that's exactly what this is. It's the case, your classic case of the coach. Marvin did this all the time with media members, fans. Everything was a stupid question. Everything was, you don't understand the sport. You don't actually know what's going on. And that's exactly what Jim Turner's doing here when he says things like, you don't know the timing. Everything's timing in our offense. And you don't know when, when the timing's been screwed up by Joe Burrow or someone else. And it's not Bobby Hart's fault. Okay, Jim, that's fine. But you know what I do know? Is that those false starts on Bobby Hart is his fault. He is the most penalized offensive lineman in football. That is his fault. His fat ass getting blown by on every pass drop back is his fault. And you well, can it's say, a, now in fairness, it is not every. He does get, but he does, he does get beat quite often, yes. The dude is a human highlight reel for every defensive end he plays against. And it's not just like timing stuff or we don't know what the objective of the play there was. I mean, when you get physically picked up off your feet and thrown on your ass by a defensive end, I don't know what else we're supposed to read. That's not, we don't know the sport. That's Bobby Hart sucks. It's plain to anyone who's ever played the sport at any level. You listen to any analyst who watches him play, and they think he sucks. The only people who like him are the Bengals. I mean, again, the Giants have the worst offensive line in football, and they cut him because he sucks. And for some reason, the Bengals keep wanting to tell us how, how good he is. I'm tired of hearing it. 
Well, yeah, and I, I'll remind you this, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but but it, it's not just Jim Turner, and it's not just Zach Taylor. It was the previous staff like Bobby Hart. So he must do something. I, I don't know what it is he does. He must do something unless, you know, maybe they're afraid. Yeah, he makes homophobic crazy yeah. jokes with Jim Turner in the locker room. They're yeah, good maybe. buddies when it comes to that type of stuff. I maybe maybe I, it's a legitimate point to make. I, I don't get it. I, like I said, it's not something if I'm the coach, I'm going to go all in on that guy. I may, I may soft shoe it much more than that and go, listen, he's doing the best he can. And, and, it, and yeah, I know at times it doesn't look good, but – you know, he's doing better than you think he's doing. Here's why. But then to, to be as defensive as he was and to go in like that, I just I, – if it's me, I'm not dying on that hill. It's so stupid. I came into this week thinking all we've done is talk about offensive line play, more than I've ever talked about offensive line in the NFL ever in my entire no, I've life. Writ- I've written more about a right guard in three weeks than I think I've ever written about a right guard in my life. Yeah, and I know – like. From a fan's perspective, we're not adding anything to the conversation at this point. I understand that. Like, we're all watching the game. We all understand the offensive line sucks week to week. It's going to continue to suck week to week. That's not going to change. So I'm tired of hearing about it too. I understand that. I had no intention of talking about the Bengals' offensive line in this show. And then yesterday, I after the Reds put on the display that they put on, I see the tweets coming out from you and the other Bengals beat writers with these quotes from Jim Turner, and I about lost my freaking mind. Gold, Jerry, gold. <laughs> the Bengals enter this week's game against the Jaguars with a record of 0-2-1. We all know about the team struggles so far under Zach Taylor at 2-16-1 overall. And looking at the Bengals' schedule following this week's winnable game against the Jags, it's not easiest. They'll go to Baltimore and then Indy before playing the Browns and Titans at home, and then a game at Pittsburgh. Skinny, is this week's Bengals game against the Jaguars a must-win for Zach Taylor, in your opinion? Absolutely, because if you lose this game, then things will start to snowball. Look, even if you win this game, you're not going to Baltimore and winning, right? And, and you're probably not going to Indy and winning, although Indy's far more beatable than Baltimore. And then it really starts to snowball then. Then you got the Browns and Titans at home, but that's no picnic. And even though they're at home, it's not before a raucous crowd. You're only going to have a handful of fans at the Browns game. We don't know, you know what it's going to be when November turns for that Titans game, if you're going to let more in or not. But, but bottom line is, you know, at some point, guys stop believing. Um, they, they've, they've still continue to cling to that they're a good team and they're close. And listen, the scores indicate they are close. I mean, they could very easily be 2-1 and one right now. And I don't think that's being a homer by any stretch. I think you'd agree with that. I mean, I think anybody with common sense that's watched would agree this team could easily be 2-1 and one right now. Um, but you're not. So you're 0-2-1. Um, I don't even care if they play well against the Jaguars. You have to win this game. Because at 0-3-1 with 0-4-1 looming, it's a here we go again. And I think at that point, Zach Taylor starts to lose guys and, and starts to lose their, their belief. And then some of the guys who signed in the offseason are going to get probably get bengalized and realize, yeah, this is kind of how things are done around here and we still got our check. And, and so I think for Zach to, to keep his train on the right track, and I think he believes it is, I think he believes, in, and he said it, a couple other players have said it this week, that they feel like one win and the dam's going to burst. Okay, maybe it is. But you still don't have that win. And the only way to get that win is win the game. So I think, yes, absolutely it's a must win. Because if it's not, and they start to, to and they're 0-7-1 at the bye week, I think anything should be on the table at that point. I mean anything. And I'm one that, that has said, I don't want to see Joe Burrow go through three or four head coaches in his five years and three and four offensive coordinators. But, man, if you're somehow 0-7-1 at the bye and lost to a bad Jacksonville team at home along the way, I mean, two twenty-one and one. At what point do you go? Okay, that's enough. We, you're, you know, 
this is a, it's results oriented business. It's not about being close or competing and, you know, Hey, when my kids tried hard, now this isn't seventh grade, you know, seventh grade peewee ball. This is, this is for keeps. And yes, absolutely positively a must win. Or I'll be honest. I think anything at that point's on the line. So I think that's well said and that's the right way to look at it. I guess my next question for you would be, that's how normal people would look at it. How do you think the Bengals look at it? Do you think they're honestly considering that or will be considering it in four weeks if the Bengals haven't won a game? I, I, I say no because they don't have to worry about the fans, you know, about you not, know, showing up. not showing up. No, right. They're I mean, already not showing up. Yeah, correct. So I, I don't, and, it, and it's also, I'm sorry, it's also not their MO. Um, they are ones that are always extraordinarily patient with everything. And um, I think that they would still be patient with Zach Taylor, especially if, like I said, if they're, if they're losing close games, I think they would think, Hey, we're really close. Well, really close. Don't count no more, man. Okay. Look last year, you got a pass. I gave you the pass. I think everybody gave you the pass that had common sense. Maybe not some, some fans, but I think most people with common sense gave them a pass injuries, a quarterback heading out the door, trying to put your system in a roster that wasn't very good. Well, okay. You went out and upgraded that roster this off season with some signings, something that they've not really done. Um, you decided it was time to move on from, from your quarterback and feel like you've got a franchise guy and he's played very well through three games. Yeah, I mean, you did something. You, you're, you're really not all that hurt. Yeah, you're missing Geno Atkins. Um, and, and that's certainly a factor. I don't want to discount that it's not a factor. I think it is a factor. Um, but it's not like it's a, it's a bunch of injuries. It's a guy. So, yeah, there's, there's really no excuse left to fall back upon. And, and so, look, it's Jacksonville. They're not good. They're, 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 they're one of the worst teams in the NFL. They're probably worse than you are. You can't lose that game at home. You can't. I'm sorry, you can't. You, you'll get, you get nothing for it. Yeah, Jacksonville cost both of us in our Pick'em segment last week. We <laughs> both were saying that. We were all in Miami, buddy. Miami getting over the hump and winning a game, and they went 31-13 to blow yeah. the Jags out. So that did. I, I do have to ask you one more question here before we uh, get off the Bengals topic. When DJ Reader signed that fat contract in the offseason – did it come with a PR clause in his contract? Did he have to, after every game they lost, say, I'm really confident in this team and I love this locker room? Because that guy is super positive after every game. No, I mean, every guy, he's not the only one. Every guy we've talked to over the last week plus, really since the loss to the Browns through the, through the tie on, on Sunday uh, against Philly, continues to believe they're extremely close to turning the corner. And that's fine, and I can't tell them they're wrong because of how close these games have been. But you don't turn the corner until you – Turn the corner. Just go do it. I honestly, I, I, I sometimes during our Zoom chats, I will text with a couple of guys uh, who are on there with me and go, I feel like I'm listening to a broken record and I'm kind of tired of it. And it is. It gets a little boring and monotonous. I believe. I, I understand these guys believe what they're saying. And in theory, I'm not sure what else they're supposed to say. I guess they can get pissed off and stomp their feet and go, I'm tired of this crap and I'm going to do. You know what? I'm tired of the talk. Go do something about it. Go make a play. Um, stop talking about it. Yeah, I just, I just look forward to uh, after every loss now, DJ Reader gets on and says, I know what we've got in our locker room. And so, okay, that's, that's great to hear, you got, man. You got losers. Yeah, well, you got Jim Turner coaching, apparently. So, yeah. all right, let's uh, move on to the Cincinnati Bearcats who cruised to a 24-10 win over Army last Saturday. It was an impressive defensive performance against an Army team that was 2-0 and coming into the game. However, the UC offense took a bit of time to get going, especially quarterback Desmond Ritter. He finished the game 18 of 33 with 258 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, and a 38.8 quarterback rating. Skinny, is Desmond Ritter the guy for Cincinnati at QB, or do they need to give Ben Bryant more reps to reach their full potential? 
So that's an interesting question on the Angry Quarterbacks podcast with Tony Pike and James Rapine. We talked about this, and um, I was kind of reluctant to bring it up, to be honest with you. Uh, but they were both kind of of the ilk of, of you may at least have to look at Ben Bryant. And Tony's take is always interesting to me because he played the position for that specific program, and he's been through some of that before. Um, I, I threw out the suggestion, and I think Tony agreed with it, of maybe you let Ben Bryant script a couple of, of series in the second quarter of, of, of the next few games just to let him get a feel, just to see if he's ready. And at that point, if he's playing well in those scripted series, maybe you expand it, and then maybe you have to make that tough decision. The flip side, though, to it is this. Desmond Ritter's done nothing but win. I mean, since he's gone into the lineup, you see wins football games, sometimes maybe in spite of him, sometimes because of him. I just – I'm always reluctant to, to go – I, look, I know that he's struggling to make some throws and struggling to make some plays, but the team's winning, so he's not costing me. And maybe you go, well, I can't wait for him to cost me. Well, maybe you can. And that's why maybe you start grooming Ben Bryant just in case. Maybe Dez gets off to a bad start in a game, and at halftime you got to make that tough decision of, well, ben, Desmond doesn't have it. Ben's going to have to go play for us. I, I think the big part is, can this team run the table with Desmond Ritter playing quarterback the way he is right now? And I I don't think that he, they can, but I go back to the thought of all the guys done is win and make a lot of winning plays. And, you know, last year I know he stunk at times, but he also was playing hurt last year. And so I have to give him that pass. Now he's not hurt this year and he hasn't made, a, you know, some, some, especially Saturday, he missed some wide open guys. I mean, yeah. I'm not, I'm not talking tight window throws. I'm talking wide open dudes running down the field and maybe that's a little rust and maybe he just needs more game reps. But I think if I'm UC, I got Ben Bryant warming up the bullpen and I ain't afraid of the quick hook. Yeah, and you bring up a really good point about his success with his win-loss record and what ma- that's what makes this decision and this conversation so difficult. I mean, like you said, it's it kind of feels like an unfair question to ask about a guy who's been really successful throughout right. his no, career right, as, a, right. as a young guy um, at, a, at a place that, you know, they've had recent success. But traditionally, it's not like UC is a powerhouse of football. So, like, if you have success there as a quarterback and you have a great record there – it seems unfair to be talking about should this guy be yanked from his spot? And, and that's not necessarily the way I want to frame the conversation, but there's no doubt when you're sitting there watching that game on Saturday and the offense is sputtering early and he's missing people left and right. That it's not the first time we've seen it from him. You know, we had all of last year where you're kind of saying, man, when Ben Bryant got in there for the, for that, what was a game and a half or two games, whatever it was, he really, did give them something in, in the passing game that Desmond Ritter doesn't seem to give them. And so I don't know that Ben Bryant is the guy. And I think you have to be very careful about that because, you know, your point about maybe scripting some, some series in the second quarter while Desmond remains the starter is probably the way you have to go here, because I don't think you can just take Desmond Ritter out of that starting spot, ruin his confidence and then say, okay, now we got to go back to him in three or four weeks because Ben Bryant isn't the guy. Um, it, it is a really delicate situation, I think, for the UK, UC coaching staff. Fortunately, I think the Bearcats have a really good coaching staff. But I guess the thing for UC is they're also not just trying to finish second in the AAC or, you know, finish tied for an AAC conference hot, right? Like they're trying to win they're at trying a level. To, they're that, trying to bully their way into the college football playoff is what they're trying to do. Exactly. They're trying to win at a level that teams outside the power five don't normally win at. And so – can they do that with Desmond Ritter is more my question. I think my answer to that is no. It just seems really unfair to Des- Desmond Ritter to be saying that. And that's where I don't think I pull him. I, I, like I said, I think I script Ben a, f- a couple series 
just to get him the reps, just to keep him engaged, um, just to see what he does. And I mean, honestly, if he outperforms him, then at that point you have to start going, we need to expand that more. And then you have to then make that tough decision. The one thing I think about Luke Fickle, I think he's the kind of guy that is willing to make that. I also think he's a fairness guy that um, I think in all fairness, I, I, I think he sees that Des makes winning plays, but at the same time, um, Look, you're 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 not gonna you're not gonna play the army option offense all all, all the time. You're gonna play, face a couple of offenses down the road that you're gonna have to match them with some points. I mean, you're not gonna hold them down. And look, that's a good defense. And Marcus Freeman's got all the plaudits as defensive coordinator. But you're gonna have to win a game probably somewhere along the way, 35-31. And is Desmond Ritter good enough to do that? The way he's playing right now, I'd say probably not. But I also want to continue to see him maybe evolve and shake some of that rust off. So it's it's a it's a it's a tough spot for them to be in. I just don't. I, I'm not ready to completely pull the plug on Desmond Ritter by any stretch so far. Yeah. The other thing I'll bring up is we talked about his injuries holding him back last year, but there was also a lack of weapons. I mean, the yes. receiving core just wasn't very good. That's not the case this year. Right. Like, He's got some you, dudes. Yeah. If you watched on Saturday, Army had zero chance of covering. UC's wide receivers. They've got two, three, four guys now that can really get some separation and get open. They were they were flying all around the field wide open. He was missing guys left and right early in the game. He, he found a rhythm a little bit as it went on and made a few plays later, but um, it's got to get better, I think, if he's going to remain the guy for them. All right, Louisville men's basketball coach Chris Mack fired back Tuesday at John Calipari's assertion that the Cardinals don't want to play Kentucky this season, releasing a video on Twitter that ended with him announcing the annual rivalry game indeed will be played. Quote, I don't want to stand in the way of college basketball's best rivalry. Whatever is most convenient for Coach Cal, we'll do it, Mack said. See you in the Yum Center. Go Cards. Calipari was brief in his response, writing on Twitter later Tuesday, see you December 26th. Can't wait. Skinny, there was obviously a lot of other back and forth, and Mac pointed out a lot of things within that Twitter video about what UK was kind of doing behind the scenes there to manipulate the, the rivalry game. What do you make of the back and forth between John Calipari and Chris Mack? i got to be honest, I think Chris, Chris's response was great. I did. I thought it was funny. Um, just, just hit the, he, he kind of did it with great theatric too, right? I mean, he, he was in full actor mode as he was, he was, he was doing that, uh, that Twitter. You know, he was owning the camera, um, slapping his palm on the table, uh, coming up at the end and, and looking right at the camera and saying what he, what he said there about we'll see on, on, on December 26th, seeing the Yum Center go cards. Um, yeah, I, 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 I got a kick out of it. Look, there, there's no – I'm so disappointed Kentucky and Louisville aren't playing in football this year. It's, it's, it's obs- I've talked about how absurd I think that is. I think it would be even more absurd if, if they don't play in basketball this year. And, and I'll, I'll – Chris at least acknowledged it is. It's arguably the best rivalry. I know Duke Carolina gets its pub, but uh, Kentucky-Louisville certainly right up there. Um, I'd hate for any reason to see that game not be played. And, and, and look, it doesn't need to go to a neutral site. We'll play it in the Yum Center, and, and I know you may not have the fans you want, Chris, but you still got to play it there, and that's just the way it goes. And, yes, I know that means Kentucky gets it back and up next year. And guess what? We don't have a guarantee of next year, Rick. Fans. Yeah, we don't got a guarantee of fans next year either. So. No, I, I think we all agree that they'll probably be back, but we don't yes. know. No, right. No, I, I'm with you. But at the same time, we don't know for sure. So it's just it's the, it's the world we live in right now. Let's just go play. Go, go play. It's scheduled at your place on that date. Let's go play that date at your place. I think this video was much needed from Chris. Otherwise, I kind of, you know, this weekend, people, had, I was at a golf outing um, and people were kind of asking me what I thought about it. And I was like, honestly, right now, I feel like it's kind of a bad look for Chris, whether he's he's right in what he's doing or not or what you know whether it's justified or not because 
right now he just looks like the guy that's going to end the rival college basketball's best rivalry and something that matters to the state and the fans so much. Over and something that's, that's out over something that's out of Kentucky's control and anybody's control. I mean, right. I'm it's just sorry that you're not going to have many fans. And maybe you will. That's the other part. Hell, who knows? Maybe by that date, 10,000 fans will be allowed in. I doubt it, but maybe. Yeah. And, and the other thing you, you know if you're Chris Mack is John Calipari's always going to play the media. So you can't, just, you can't be like texting back and forth or letting your ops guys handle this stuff behind the scenes because you know at the end of the day, when Cal wants to get his point across, he's going to go to the media and get his point across. And yeah. he's going to play the PR game. So, it, so Chris just letting this play out behind the scenes and looking like the guy who wanted to have the game moved because he didn't want to play at his home place with no fans – is a bad look for him. Now, doing what he did, making it, like you said, kind of a joke, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, you, you know that he's in on it, and also him pointing out, hey, Cal's saying this stuff, but behind the scenes, he's already scheduling another game for the date that we had agreed upon. You know, they're, they're telling, you're calling ESPN, trying to get our ACC games moved without even telling us that they're doing that. So there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. I think it was smart of Chris to point all that stuff out. Now, the problem is going to come down to Cal has a better team than Chris does this year. And if he gets his brains beat in again, that video is going to get brought back up and There's people no are going to call him Hardo. And it's all going to play into the rivalry. And at that point, it may not be as good of a look. But for right now, I think this kind of saved Chris Mack's public image a little bit in terms of what was going on behind the scenes. Yeah, like I said, well, it, it, on this, it was well played. It added some levity to it. And it, it at least it, it throws the gauntlet down of, hey, come play us. We're ready. And I, and I like that. And, it, and also, you know, for a guy that because he – came up at Xavier and, and I think people in Cincinnati know he has a personality, but outside, I think a lot of people thought he was kind of like this Kevin Willard faceless bald guy that was, you know, just, just a good coach. And all of a sudden is on the national scene because Rick Pitino got fired and, and Louisville had to reach a little bit. Now this puts him out in the national spotlight is like, okay, this guy is uh, going back and forth with Cal. He's, he's got some uh, testicular fortitude here. So I, I think it gives him a little bit of an image too in, in the public no, I, eye. I think that's, that's actually well said. Yeah, I agree. All right. It's time for our betting segment, Skinny. And I just continue to get my butt kicked by you. You are now 18, 10, and 2. Uh, that was after a 6, 4, and 2 week this past and I, uh, I think Sunday, I started. And I think I started 0-2, right? Yeah, yeah, we both started 1-2-1 one, and one over the first two uh, college games. It was not a good start. We had two pushes this week. One was in that Army-UC game. UC was a 14-point favorite, and they won by 14. And then the other one came in the Bengals-Eagles game. Of course, uh, they hit the over exactly on 46. So, uh, anyway. You, oh, also, your uh, bet's off the board. Your teaser, Browns, Cardinals, Packers. The Cardinals lost, so yes. that did not hit – uh, my reverse teaser, Virginia minus 11, Baylor minus 23 and a half, did hit. So uh, plus 725, I hope you played it. It saved my bacon last Saturday after I started the, the day slowly. So it all worked out well. I'm going to tell you that um, I, I would have hit a 16 parlay that included the Packers money line and Chiefs money line, except I had Arizona on the money line. Ooh. I, I just needed him to win. I had I – had, um, I had Cleveland on there. I can't remember. I had, had a couple other, you know, I had, had a couple other winners, obviously, but the two money line plays. Uh, oh, I had the Bengals plus plus uh, five and a half on there, and that one that one got me. And I just had them on the money line. I didn't even have them cover the. Oh, I had the Seahawks. That was my the Seahawks minus five. They covered. Maybe covered a little luckily, but they covered. Um, so yeah, Arizona cost me in a lot of ways last week, man. Tough hit for you on the Cardinals game. All right, let's jump into this week's slate starting Saturday, three thirty p.m. 
We've got South Florida at Cincinnati. The Bearcats are 22-point favorites, and the total is 46 in that game. I think that this is a tough one in a weird way. South Florida's terrible. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're dreadful. But UC's coming off that, that hard-fought game with Army. It looks like a soft landing spot. I think UC wins it comfortably, but it, I don't know why – I don't know why 40 to 20 sticks in my craw. Maybe not. I'm, I'm going to go South Florida. What's the total again? 46. Yeah, I'm going with South Florida in the over. UC, right. win, UC wins it comfortably. Don't get me wrong. But I'm going to go South Florida in the over. South Florida to cover the 22 and over the 46. I'm going to go UC 42, South Florida 10. So I'm going UC and the over. I just think after I saw what I saw from UC's defense last week against a team that's much better than South Florida, in my opinion. They are. Um, Army's good. Army's great. And I will say, let, let, let's make this no bones. Army's really good defensively. Really good. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing. UC could have blown that game open well before they did if their offense would have wouldn't have struggled the way it did um, early in the game they gave away some opportunities to to score I thought and you look at this game against South Florida's defense I think UC can run all over them I think they can pass all over as long as uh, Ritter connects with his receivers I think UC is going to put play on the board I'm going UC and the over in that one which brings us to our next college game Saturday 4 p.m. it's Ole Miss at Kentucky the Wildcats are six-point favorites in that one. 61-and-a-half is the total. Big old total. I, I thought Kentucky clearly outplayed Auburn, to be quite frank. They and, did. And, and got a bad call on a touchdown that, 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 that didn't count, or that should have counted, actually. And then Terry Wilson makes a bad throw in the end zone. He turns one over in the second half. Um, I, I thought they, they did a lot. I, I will say Ole Miss defensively is an absolute train wreck, and I, I think Kentucky, I think Kentucky will, will probably have more – effectiveness running than they did against Auburn. I thought they were effective at times in the Auburn game running the ball. They just, I didn't think they stuck with it enough. I, I think Kentucky wins this one comfortably. I know Ole Miss put up a bunch on Florida. I didn't think Florida's defense looked that great. I'm going to go Kentucky. I'll go Kentucky 35-21. Uh, so Kentucky in the under for me. Yeah, you're on the under. I'm, I'm on the under as well. I, I liked your point about UK running the football. I didn't think they stuck to it enough last week either. I think you'll see them have more success against Ole Miss's defense, and I think you'll st see them stick to it a little more, which is why I think the under will hit. I think you'll see the clock running throughout this game. 61.5 seems awfully high to me. I'm going to say UK 27, Ole Miss 24. So that's Ole Miss and the under for me. Ooh, okay. And that brings us to our Thursday night NFL game, 8.20 p.m. Broncos at the Jets. This one just a few hours after we record, just a nightmare of a game. So who really even cares what we pick? I can't imagine you'd actually be betting this. If, if you are, I, you're – I can't either. Yeah, I can't either. Uh, the Jets are one-point favorites. The total is 41 points. Skinny, what do you got? I got nothing, nothing. I'm going to say neither team scores. It ends in nothing, nothing. So I'm going to take the nothing, nothing. So who's getting the one point here? Uh, that would be the Jets. They are the favorite here. Uh, I'll give the Jets cover, and it stays way under. Nothing, nothing final. Uh, the only real thing I have to say about this game is the Broncos are starting Mark Rapine's son at quarterback. No, it's his, it's his, it's his nephew. Or his yes. nephew, rather. Nephew, yeah, yes. quarterback. Um, bring him off the practice squad. Jets are a favorite. I hate everything about what's going on in this game. I'm just say Jets 21, Broncos 13, Jets in the under for me. I, I, I truly am. Um, my, my friend Paul Daner and I have – we have a four-pronged bet each year of, of certain things that happen in the NFL, and it, we usually end up with a nice dinner. This year we're going to have a, a day at the sports book with different, different things tied to it. And one of the things tied to it is the first coach fired. We each took four coaches. Well, one of my four is Adam Gase. So I'm kind of rooting for the loss tonight because it really feels like lose on a Thursday night. You got a little extra time. 
I, I think at that point he probably does get fired, even though he's gotten the vote of confidence. So I'm really rooting hard for Denver tonight from, for, from, a, from a personal standpoint. So that's the only wager I've got on the game is, is hoping that Adam Gase gets canned after this game. It's terrible to say that. I hate that for anybody, but he'll wind up on his feet. Somebody will put him on a staff because that's the way the NFL works. Yeah, well, I mean, he's the Peyton Manning whisperer, too. So someone will just bring him on as a quarterback's coach or an offensive yes, coordinator yes. or something. So uh, Sunday, 1 p.m. Or did, I, did you already give a pick for this game or not? I did. I'm yeah, going did. nothing, okay. nothing, nothing. That's right. Yeah, Jets, Jets on the under for me. You've got the tie and the under. So Yes. <laughs> Sunday, 1 p.m., Jags at Bengals. The Bengals are a three-point favorite somehow. The total is 49. I'd say hammer that number, but it feels like it's reeling me in, right? I mean, the Bengals, I think, are, are, are the better team. I think they're significantly a better team, um, but it still scares me. I'll go Bengals 27-17, so the Bengals and the under for me. I mean, the Bengals have are undefeated against the spread so far. This year. That's exactly right. Yeah, so uh, that's something to factor in here. I just can't I, – I've lost – This, is, betting this is their first time as a favorite, though, so remember that. They've yeah. been a dog three times. I've, I've lost betting against the Bengals twice now, and I'm going to continue to do it, and maybe I'll lose again. But I'm going to say the Jags win this one outright. I'm going to say Jags wow. 24, Bengals 21. So that's Jags and the under. I just don't understand why people are so confident that the Bengals are going to learn how to win a game, especially with that offensive line. Their defense, by the way, that can't stop. Uh, any team from running the ball has a way of making everybody look better. I I think Geno's back. I I do think that. I think that's going to help. We'll see. Sunday, 8-20, Eagles at San Francisco. The 49ers are seven-point favorites. The total is 46. Eagles are so beat up. Um, but so so, And so is the 49ers, though. I mean – Am I going to trust Nick Mullins? I, 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 it's hard for me to do that. I know, you know, they, they, they stayed in, in New York and, and swept the two awful Jets and Giants, but it doesn't do a whole lot for me. Those two teams are so damn bad. I, I think the Eagles hang around. I don't, I don't think they're good enough to go out there and win, especially as beat up as they are, although they're getting a couple guys back in the receipt, at least one guy back in the receiving core. I'll go, I'll go 49ers in a slugfest, 17-14. No, 17-15. I'll give you an oddball score there. So I'm going to go Eagles cover, and it stays under the total. 17-15 final. I, I know I'm just overreacting to what I witnessed while watching the Bengals game last week, but I just can't pick the Eagles to cover the spread. They seem like a team that can't get out of their own way, just like the Bengals are. I'm going to say 49ers 31, Eagles 21, so that's 49ers in the over. And that brings us to our Monday night game, 8-15, Falcons at Packers. Green Bay is a seven-point favorite. The total is 56 in the hook. All right, last stand time for the Falcons. Here's the thing about the Falcons. Don't do it, Skinny. I, I, no, the, the, they'll, they'll find a way to probably be in this game. They may find a way to blow it again. Yeah, true. They um, might have a 30-point lead in the first half. Julio Jones is supposed to be back. I think that's, that's enough to help their offense. I think this got shootout written all over, but the Falcons still fall short. And I've got, believe it or not, I've got Dan Quinn in that, that pool as well. So maybe he gets it after this game. I'm going to go Packers 34-30. So I'll take the Falcons to cover and the under. Yeah, I, oh, and the, I, and the over rather. The over, Falcons yeah, over the over. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Um. The the I agree with you. I don't think there's any way either of these defenses will stop each other. As good as the as the Packers have been, it's pretty much all Aaron Rodgers in that offense. The defense has still been one of the worst in the NFL. I'm gonna say Packers 42, Falcons 31. So that's Packers and the over for me. So uh, hopefully I'll get back on the right track. You've been absolutely dominating here in the pick segment the last few weeks. Now for my te- now for my teaser of the week, and you've got yours too, right? Oh yeah, Your that's right. Of the week. 
Yep, let's get right, into Mike, our bets of the week. I, I, I'm going the opposite. Last week, I took the favorites down to pick'ems. basically. I'm going to do the opposite this week. I'm going to take some home dogs up. I'm going to take Carolina, a three-teamer. Carolina up from three-and-a-half to nine-and-a-half. I'm going to take the Lions at home against the Saints up to ten. Um, and I'm going to take, and I just had it. Hang on one second. And I'm going to take the Bears at home against the Colts up from two-and-a-half to eight-and-a-half. So Bears eight-and-a-half, Lions ten, Panthers nine and a half, all three home underdogs. Okay. Okay. I, uh, I like that. I'm going to do a little reverse teaser action here. Okay. Once again, that's, that's my new, that's my new look. That's the go-to. Go all right. So the first one I like a lot is Baylor. That's who I rolled with in one of the, the reverse teasers last week. I like that line with them in West Virginia two and a half. I think this is a game that could end up being a blowout. So I'm going to take that Baylor game from two and a half up to eight and a half. And the other game that I'm going to on, do, on, on the road now, don't forget that. I'm not worried about that. There's no okay. fans there. That's um, a good point. And in addition, I'm going to take Oklahoma who has a seven point favorite um, on Saturday night against Iowa state. They're also on the road. I'm going to take that one up to 13. So those wow. are the two plus seven twenty five odds there. So it's Baylor at minus nine, Oklahoma at minus 13 on the reverse teaser, or as one of our boys on uh, Twitter told me, some books call it a pleaser, which I really like that name. I think that might be better name. Speaking of gambling and you and I are in a, in a picks pool together. We put up, you know, a few dollars uh, for the season and, and, and we there's about 15 of us in the league and we pick and there's a weekly winner and then a, a prize at the end. Which by the and way, I'm number one overall in the NFL points in that. I, I can't I know. How do about anything that? in this pick them, but. So on our sheet last week, Iowa State and TCU, Iowa State was what, a two-and-a-half-point favorite, correct? And yes. at the end of the game, TCU scores a touchdown to pull within three on the last play of the game. Just a Hail Mary-type touchdown. Last play of the game, pulls within three. Extra point is not going to really matter. They go for two, they lose by one. They kick it, they lose by two. But in the NFL, believe it or not, you actually have to attempt a point after, even if it doesn't matter or inconsequential because the NFL realizes it probably affects some, some games. So I'm watching it unfold, and we do a confidence thing. So we have 12 college games, right. and we pick, you know, we pick them it's against the spread, but then if you think that team's the, the one that you like the most, that's your 12-point game. So I only had a three-pointer on, on, uh, on Iowa State. But I'm watching it unfold, and I'm like, son of a gun. They just threw a touchdown. They're going to kick the extra point. I'm going to lose by the hook. Nope. Teams decide, no need to kick that extra point. Now, it only affected some people, you know, on our sheet, and it doesn't cost them a lot of money. I hope to God there's not, some, not someone out there who, who needed that extra point and, and lost on that. Well, that, that. That's one of the ultimate bad beats of all time. So, first of all, Chief, it did cost me on the sheet because I had TCU uh, to cover. But it, thankfully, it didn't cost me on the, the points because I had taken TCU to win that game outright over Iowa State at, uh, at Hollywood, the sportsbook. So, I would have been pissed had I taken TCU on the points. I am very yes. happy that I didn't. It was much easier to swallow the three-point loss. Than right. Yeah, because the, the extra hook. point was inconsequential for you at that point. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly right. So, all right. Uh, any any other betting stuff we need to get to? Because we don't have much here in the Ask Skinny Anything segment. Okay, yeah, because we're doing this at a different time frame. So, no, just just hop on. And hopefully, yeah. it's a couple questions, and we'll, we'll breeze right through this. All right. Uh, I like this one. What sport do you think is most enhanced in a one-game winner-take-all scenario, i.e., a game seven, basketball, baseball, or hockey? Believe it or not, hockey. And I'm telling you, game seven in a tie game or an overtime in hockey is, honestly, it, it is 
it's awesome to watch because every rush down the ice, you're thinking it's going to end now. It could end now. And, and you just, you have no real, it just feels like the, the, the energy level is so crazy. And I'm not a huge hockey fan, Rick. I mean, I'll, I'll watch it. I had a future wager on a couple of teams and it made, made my interest in the Stanley cup playoffs probably infinitesimally higher than it's ever been. Um, and I did those be, you know, during the pandemic. So I was trying to at least have some interest in something uh, during that point, point in time. But honestly, game seven playoff hockey to me, I'm taking that. I know you're going to go completely different, and I probably surprised you with my answer, but without question, game seven of a, of, a, of a hockey series. I get where you're coming from, and honestly, while watching the Reds game yesterday, where it was 0-0 going into extra innings, it, it I said, felt like that, right? This is very much like a hockey or soccer game where yes. every single time someone gets on base, it's like every pitch is so tense. Yes. Um, so I, I get what you're saying there. I still think if you're talking about which sport like goes to a higher level – when it's game seven, that's got to be basketball. Just because NBA is the only time we do that game seven, obviously. College basketball is uh, one game and done the whole time throughout the tournament. So uh, the game seven in the NBA, there is a, just a different flow, a, a different everything to playoff games, especially a game seven there is to normal NBA games. And when everything's on the line like that, your, your substitutions are different. The way you defend certain things are different. You're not as worried about foul trouble or other things like that. So everything's just a little tighter, a little amped up, and um, you see a little more strategy from teams. They're leaving it all out there on the line. To me, it's basketball without question. Uh, I, I can probably see that. I just, I'm just talking about just from the, the sheer intensity of it. I, I think that playoff hockey, especially if it's a tight game, if, you know, it's three to nothing in the third period, then obviously not. But, um, but no, I, I'm going with that. I don't see any other questions here in my Twitter. If I missed, if I missed one of you from like a while ago from last week or something, I apologize. And maybe we can circle back around, but I think, uh, I think that does it. All right, we had a busy week anyway with, with some sports conversation. We'll be back uh, next week, probably middle of the week. Uh, we kind of juke things around because of the red disappointing finish, but uh, certainly a lot to talk about. So uh, we'll be back next week for Rick Boring. I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Popery edition.